You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Thanks everyone for joining us for another week of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled uh, to share with you what I think is one of the coolest panels and a very exciting report that has come out from Hootsuite. So uh, Sarah is joining us uh, from Hootsuite to kind of walk us through the report. And we've got three incredible social media experts to analyze, critique, confirm, and or deny the findings in that report and what they've discovered uh, so I just want to introduce Deanna, first of all, who will be joining us. She has incredible experience, both as a social media consultant, social media educator, and also a practitioner uh, supporting all sorts of incredible Indigenous experiences and products right across the beautiful province of British Columbia. Uh, Zane is also joining us, who is not only a creator, but he is a social media manager for uh, large personalities uh, on the social sphere and also manages social media for a large national association. Uh, we also have Samantha, who comes from agency side, who is in the trenches managing social media for multiple brands uh, and using the Hootsuite platform to uh, provide content and engagement with brands uh, ranging from grocery uh, to lawyers uh, to the wonderful world of concrete. So <laughs> Sarah, thank you for joining us here from Hootsuite. Tell us about this report that was just published and what we can expect from it. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. I'm so excited about this. I get really excited about trends time every time. Um, I've been with Hootsuite for almost seven years, and this is our sixth annual trends report. So I've seen every single one of them and maybe a little bit biased, but I feel like I say it every year, but this year is the best one. And it's because we've got the biggest survey that we've ever had. So we surveyed over 18,000 marketers um, across the world in five languages from nine industries, really good mix of seniority. Um, so an incredible data set to work from. And then we kind of coupled that with qualitative interviews from Twitter, YouTube, Google, and more, and then just exhaustive market research reading every single report that has ever been written. So that is how we came to these trends. The report is available um, for download. There's a microsite as well as a PDF download available. So it should be in the show notes. So yeah, I'm super excited to kind of kick things off. And I guess we'll just sort of dive right into trend one if everyone is uh, ready. So the first trend that we've highlighted is this idea of brands finally getting community right with the help of creators. So we're seeing that digital communities are, you know, they're more vibrant and more active kind of than ever before, but building one around your brand from scratch is really difficult, right? Not every brand has the resources and the time and the money to get something like that off the ground and really make it worth people's times. And then on the other hand, you have a lot of brands that mistake having followers on social media for having a loyal, engaged, active community. And those two things are not synonymous. So what we're really seeing is a huge opportunity in terms of the thriving online communities, but then this really big opportunity to use creators as a way in, right? A way in with influence and with trust and a way that can really earn brands not only attention, but some much needed cultural capital. So that is trend one. Let's let her rip. What does everyone think? <laughs> Amazing. So I, I'm going I'm to throw it over to Zane. And, and the first question I want to know, especially for context for listeners and viewers right now is, when did it switch from influencer to creator? And, and are we still using both terms? Help us help us with that. Um, I mean... It sounds very much like I'm like, well, like false modesty where I'm just like, I I never thought the term influencer ever applied for me. And like, it doesn't to this day, like on my personal accounts, absolutely not. I, I consider myself more of an overseer of other influencers and uh, kind of how I got thrown into the sphere as a creator. I, I was a journalist, a copywriter for a long time. And then I got kind of uh, recruited to this program back in my home province of Saskatchewan and I was in Toronto at the time called the Saskatchewan Wanderer. And it's a very unique situation in that I didn't earn any of my followers. I took, it was, a, it's an annual position. I like it's like the resident travel writer of the province. And I just kind of took over someone else's role instantaneously had a hundred thousand followers that I hadn't earned. And, uh, I knew I had them for a year span because they replaced the role every year. 
So I guess in that time of my life, I would be considered an influencer. Uh, but it was just a very different process because I didn't build the base on my values necessarily. Uh, although like we all have similar goals through the, the positions. So in that sense, I guess a creator, I started as a creator. I, I wanted to be a writer. I was writing content every day and it was very, very fulfilling. And I also just through that kind of medium had to learn how to manage my own audience on my own. It was very much a, a self-sufficient role. And that's kind of how I got propelled into this world of social media management. And it's interesting kind of like how um, helpful it is as someone that manages social media to have the perspective of someone that's also the creator. Because right now I'm assigning a lot of work to other creators, much like myself. And I kind of have that, that perspective to know how it can kind of synchronize with uh, a strategy that works with us. Awesome. And then when you reach out or when you have it in your like strategy deck, do you call them influencers or do you call them creators? Which terms? I are think you creators using? as someone that's been on that end of the thing, I think, I think that kind of over recent history, influencer has kind of gone a bit of a, a negative connotation to it. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I would never be offended if someone called me an influencer by any means, but I think that creator kind of, it, it infers a bit more, uh, creative autonomy, uh, and it makes it, and it is, that's what we are. We're creating stuff. And, and I think that also influencers implies like mass following. Sometimes we're hiring people for the work and not necessarily their, their reach all the time. So I think that creators is just a bit more ubiquitous when it comes to, uh, the kind of work I'm looking for at least. Deanna, the work that you're doing, the brands you're working with, uh, what are you seeing when it comes to working with creators and, and some of the success and maybe some of the, the stumbles along the way in this last while? That's funny because we were calling them influencers and now we refer to them more as creators. But when, as a brand, we want them to work with us, I find that just as my last strategy session we just had, we are calling them ambassadors. So when they do work for us, we're like, they become our ambassador. So we're finding that shift because of the feelings behind the word influencer. And so that's very right. True. What you said about the amount of following micro ambassadors for us could have a greater impact for us for working with us um, than just the typical, what everybody thinks of an influencer with a ton of following. So we we're starting to look at it a lot different using the word ambassador when working with us. So I want to get your perspective. So a, a brand Deanna can either choose to say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, create my own TikTok account from scratch. I want to create an Instagram account from scratch and, and I'm going to, I'm going to own that world and I'm going to do an amazing job because I'm going to speak the language, do the dance, <laughs> wear the clothes, you know, talk about no bones day and all of that stuff. Um, or they could work with a creator who already is in that world. What's your suggestion? And, and, and what do you think of the, the both options for a brand right now? I mean, it could be a bit of both. It could be, I mean, you have to start somewhere and create something and then have creators working for you um, and then show up that way with, you know, it, it. we don't know if it's a no bones day today. Actually, he hasn't posted yet. So I was really excited to share with the group, but unfortunately, John has not posted and you see those brands showing up there as creators, like in the comments of things as if they're creators, but they are brands. And so it's just a really interesting time we're in. And, and I find it interesting as brands struggle to decide if they're going to venture into a new world and, mm -hmm. and decide to go into that new world as the brand, you know, wearing their brand clothes and colors, or do they uh, find an ambassador to, to yeah. speak on their behalf? So yeah. Sam, over to you. What are you hearing and seeing amongst the brands that you manage? Yeah, I mean... From Jelly perspective, um, the partnerships that we've done, it looks like in the last year, we've worked with around like 50 different creators and it really does wonders for, I mean, it depends on the business, but for example, like the Da Vinci experience is someone we've been working with and they were kind of starting from scratch. So by, you know, working with these creators, we're getting, they're really creating the content. They're not just having an influence by going, but They've been giving us the content we need to build a platform. And by, you know, partnering with them, we're now doing contests and then they're show they're sharing um, like what they've made, whether it's like a real different photos that now we can pull from as a brand. 
Um, that's been super helpful for jelly and yeah, the companies that we've been working with, it's really like give and take. They're providing us with the, the created content. So I totally understand that we're moving from influencer to creator. It makes more sense. Um, depending on, you know, what you're doing when you're hiring a creator influencer. But yeah, I feel like DaVinci experience is a great example. We're constantly working with different creators to get more content pumped out and it's seriously built the entire brand. So it's awesome. Yeah. And I think in that context, in the DaVinci had the option to say, Hey, I'm going to spend a bunch of money uh, with Facebook ads and, and build a Facebook following and Instagram following from scratch that way. Or if no one's ever heard of us before, what if we partnered with trusted people and trusted creators who could create content on our behalf in their world and thus totally. see our growth happen that way? Exactly. And I think then you get all these different audiences now engaged in this company. So it's it's just the perfect way to spread the awareness for brands and yeah, the new businesses. It's awesome. And Zane, just from like a budgeting perspective, when you look at the budget line items, and it must be fun that you know you've been on both sides of the the budget now, the receiver yeah. and now the manager. The line item for creators is it typically under like the social media budget? Is it typically under the ad buy budget? Is it a media buy budget? Like how are brands looking at that line item? Uh, from my perspective, because it's been mostly like as a creator working kind of federally. So it's the process has been very nuanced, I guess, in that regard. But like I basically, it was always under kind of a, a organic budget. And then I always kind of had someone else from the ministry transition that into to ad budget, I guess, for me. So yeah, when I was doing budgeting, it'd be more so from like an organic creator's perspective. Like what do I need to create the content? And then from there, I kind of outsourced the the advertising component. <laughs> because in a sense that what you're I'm hearing is we could see creators, and especially using the term creator, as line items that are saying, hey, I could hire a videographer, a photographer, a writer. Absolutely. Um, or I could work with someone who just helps me. They just may happen to be really big on Reddit or Quora or TikTok and have some sort of following and trust. But they also, they get the language. They speak those terms. And not to, and like also the amount, I think that people don't think about how much in-kind work is out there as well, that that there is no line item. It's a lot of exchange, a lot of give and take, a lot of community building in that regard. Uh, amplification of other people in exchange for their work is, is also very common, I think, in the industry of creation. And Deanna, over to you, when you introduced the idea of working with a ambassador, a creator, uh, do you have to educate the brands or do they get it right away these days? I mean, when you talked about budgets, I was like, how do they normally show up in budgets? And I think in the beginning, a lot of it from like a business side would see it as almost like a photo asset budget. I'm going to get photos and content out of it. And that's how they initially saw it, like beautiful images from this influencer. And I'll have that. And I think it's changed and growing more as like a whole bunch of other areas rather than just the photo asset. Because if you look at that way, I maybe get like three signature shots and then what, right? And there's Mm -hmm. so much more they do. And so we're seeing it really grow that way. And, And I think as the shift that's going in social media, especially with TikTok now, seeing the reach that creators are getting, I think people are starting to see that without really having to tell them, like you can get exposure Mm -hmm. in such different ways than your traditional, even working with an influencer that was like a few years ago. It was funny, actually, there's a a video agency in Kelowna, British Columbia, that uh, you would normally hire to do a video, a promo video, Mm -hmm. and they are a video business. But they themselves became a creator, an influencer when they started during COVID making these ad salations. I know who you're talking about. It's amazing. They would do an ad every day. And at one point, they actually made an ad for Aviation Gin. And uh, the next day, uh, both Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds uh, shared this on their social channels. And again, um, there's now people who want to work with this video agency because they themselves have an incredible following, an incredible influence. And so I feel like those worlds, uh, the, the lines are blurring in so many ways. And, and uh, people are seeing the uh, opportunity and putting the budgets in the right places. So Sarah, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, trend number two. What's next on that report we've got here, Sarah? Okay, getting juicy now. 
Um, so very interesting data point that came out of our survey was that Every year we ask marketers, what social networks do you find are the most effective for reaching business goals? Usual suspects, always number one and two, Facebook and Instagram. No real surprises there. Also hasn't changed, but we did see a slight decrease in both. And I don't think that's because those networks are necessarily getting less effective. I think it's that when we look beyond those sort of tried and true channels, the perceived effectiveness of other networks is skyrocketing. And so marketers are finding more success on networks like TikTok, Pinterest, and Snapchat. So TikTok in particular shot up uh, compared to last year, there was a 700% jump in perceived effectiveness. So it rose from just 3% to 24%. And that's massive, right? And we think like, okay, so what's making these networks more effective for marketers? Why are they saying that this is really working for them. And as we kept digging into the research, we found some studies that actually showed consumers are more receptive to ads from brands on these networks as well. And we're like, what is going on here? And when you look at it, yeah, these networks aren't as saturated with brands yet. I think uh, I saw a stat that said the number of ads people are exposed to on TikTok in the past year like doubled or jumped by, I think, 37% or something crazy like that. So it's starting, right? The brands are flocking to TikTok. But I think what is more important and like the bigger takeaway in terms of this trend for marketers, no matter what channel you're advertising on, is that those networks really, really encourage advertisers to make content that fits more organically into the platforms. Like you think about TikTok's whole tagline of don't make ads, make TikToks. Even Pinterest, you go to their advertiser page, it says, stop interrupting, start inspiring. So these networks have it figured out and the brands that are succeeding on them have it figured out that no one wants to be interrupted while they're checking to see if we're doing bones or not. No one wants to be interrupted by the, you know, a, an ad from a brand that is as boring as it is self-serving. So I think a really big lesson in there, especially as marketers up their social budgets, which we're seeing big plans for in 2022, the C average CPM of social ads, so cost per thousand impressions, um, jumped about 33% last quarter. So it's getting more expensive, more harder to get the attention that you want and you have to be standing out. And it just kind of ironically turns out the best way to stand out might be blending in. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where we're at with that one. Trend number two. No, oh, and I think we've all been on TikTok maybe where <laughs> all of a sudden I won't name the brand, but I'm like, this is like a, an ad you see in a cinema or on YouTube. And I'm like, why are you running it on TikTok? It felt like almost wrong, like inappropriate. Yeah. And then conversely, the best ads I've seen are the ones where you're watching them. You don't even realize mm -hmm. it's an ad. And if you go look at the comments on a lot of those types of ads, you see people being like, I can't believe I didn't figure out this was an ad until the end, you know, and that's what's really resonating with people. And so consumers, they're holding marketers to a higher standard, but then they're really embracing the brands that get it right. And that's how you're becoming, you're seeing these brands like skyrocketing in terms of brand fame on TikTok and networks like that. So Deanna, thoughts on social media advertising, paid advertising, not the organic side. I have lots of thoughts. Um, I am an avid TikToker. I, I spend all my time. I don't do Netflix. I do TikTok. And I've noticed lately, I don't know if you've all noticed, but if you're in the lower mainland of British Columbia, there's a very popular restaurant whose ad pops up all the time. And I'm like, wow. And I think it's, I think it's awesome for two reasons. One, I don't immediately realize it's an ad right away. And two, it's always different employees of their restaurant in different locations and they look all happy and they're, the staff are in it. And I think it's really amazing to see the shift of these ads where you're right, like you, they pop up and it's kind of funny or I'm like, I laugh. I'm like, good on them. I didn't realize it's an ad. Right. And I, and then I'll watch it because I'm like, you put a lot of work. Yay. <laughs> like This is well done. Well done. I didn't just immediately swipe. Like if I saw that same restaurant on Facebook, I'd be like, get out of my feed. You're an ad. Right. But I, I appreciate the work that they put into it to hang out with like the young kids on TikTok and show up in such a way that kind of blends in. 
I think it's really cool. Awesome. Were, were you inspired to uh, go to said restaurant the next time you're nearby, you think? Um, I have two young preteen and teenage kids where this is the only place they want to dine. So I'm an avid already goer of this restaurant, but I just thought we will remember the people who, you know, I, I say, I'm going to join TikTok where I work with people and they're like, really, you are, oh, we haven't ventured in. And we're all like in our mid forties talking about taking the leap. And so I just big props to brands that are just diving in and just giving her, right. Because I think that we'll remember those early adopters of, of doing it. That's great. Now, Sam, your thoughts on uh, advertising on social, whether it's Facebook, TikTok, all the all the socials. Deanna, I completely, <laughs> I feel everything you just said. I've been noticing that as well, and I'm sure we all have been. But I completely agree. I'm scrolling on TikTok and I'm I'm watching random videos. I never know what they are, anyways. And then I realize it's an ad, and it's. I I also feel proud. I don't know. I have no right to feel proud, but I feel happy for them that they got me. I'm like, mm-hmm. you guys did it. Good job. You're to the trend. And um, yeah, I mean, at Jelly, we're still experiencing around like 70% of ads are on Facebook, 20% on Google, 5% right now is TikTok, and then around 3% on LinkedIn, 2% on Pinterest. But I mean with TikTok and Pinterest and even Spotify coming into the mix. Um, they're definitely like powerful new we're yeah, we're getting new audiences in that way and targeting like Gen Z and millennial through and not even Gen Z. I mean, now all generations are getting on TikTok and these newer apps, which is super fun. And yeah, I think it's a great way to, to target new audiences. And yeah, I, I like seeing the ads on TikTok. I mean, it's not my favorite, but I think it's really impressive to see the the new brands getting on there and making it a little bit more casual, not as like a huge production of an ad. I love like, okay, we're just quickly filming this before our shift or, you know, we're just like walking around. It's an iPhone camera. It's yeah, it's really cool. I think that's like the new shift and I really like it. Awesome. And exciting news. Yes. You know, I know this is a global report, but for Canada specifically, um, our audience is right now, but uh, Pinterest opened a big office in Canada this year uh, to support advertisers. Reddit opened an office this year to support advertisers. Uh, TikTok, of course, uh, Josh Bloom and the crew over there are very supportive and they continue to grow in Canada and, and have a presence. So um, I can see uh, what do you call it the spreading of the lot. Because again, I remember you know, that even five years ago, almost 80% of our ad revenue went to Google versus any of the social channels. And now it's, you know, it's going the other way. Just it's a great example, Sam. Uh, Zane, how are you? Oh uh, yeah, it's kind of like an interesting shift right now, particularly from the perspective of, of creators. I think um the accessibility of, of advertising that's coming through these platforms like TikTok. Uh, is is quite exciting, and I also think the like kind of artistic integrity that comes with like the kind of high funnel uh, elusiveness of of these ads that aren't like don't have clear calls to action all the time and stuff like that. I think that it's a little less I don't know market like we all work in marketing, but we also know that the stigma around marketing and it being a little aggressive or slimy at times. I think that this kind of eliminates that in in that it, these are engagement pieces. They they aren't necessarily uh, there to quickly generate conversion. That said, from the perspective of someone that's managing social media, it makes me wonder like how this data will turn out with these pieces because. If your end goal is the end goal always necessarily to have a lot of following, or is it to make a lot of generate a lot of revenue or a lot of sales? And how much these kind of high funnel pieces through TikTok will really do that? Because at the end of the day, like it's great to have a lot of eyes on our content, but we also have a product to sell. So it'd be interesting to see also if the audiences that we gain through those platforms are always valuable to to the product we're selling. Like, I don't know if there's a huge uh, audience for, I don't know, certain, let's say like indigenous ex- travel experiences. And there's only university students watching them that couldn't actually afford to, to maybe go on these trips just yet. If, if that's a value, um, 
that said, it's about educating people and stuff like that. So there's, there's no harm in it by any means. It's just, I guess, it, com- the comparison of these new platforms like TikTok to, to something a bit more tangible like Instagram right now. It'll be interesting to see how over the years the shift kind of happens. And, and can your brand afford education and, and awareness yeah. um, versus, man, we need to survive the next three months and I need to see conversions, conversions, conversions. Well, and like the amount of resources that are, are at our disposal might necessarily like we have to pick our battles sometimes. And it's just, and it's something that I'm going through right now. I'm like, okay, so there's only one of me um, and I need to generate all this content. What's of most value to me right now? And what does our audience benefit from most at this moment and it's interesting because I, I am seeing these trends towards tiktok and i'm just wondering like how feasible it is to spread my content throughout all these platforms and what will generate the most at the end of the day revenue for us um so it's great i i it's like a double-edged short sword that there's so many different ways that you can spread the word about what you're doing but at the end of the day if you only have so much resources at your disposal like it's 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 about choosing what will be most beneficial for the brand at the end of the day. So it's interesting. And it's so uh, like heterogeneous or dynamic. And I'm just like, every year I feel like I have to learn a new platform <laughs> because it's uh, it's an ever-changing industry. So it's exciting. It's super exciting. It's just like, it's a lot of decision-making, I find. Yeah. And, and not just a new platform from the organic side, but a new platform from the advertising side, because they again, sure. have different dashboards and different uh, opportunities and different methods. Well, yeah, um, it's just because it's so new. Like we don't, I don't feel like I have enough quantitative data yet to be like, okay, this is for sure working. So it's just about trial and error at this point, which is exciting, but time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I'm going to give a little throwback to, uh, again, a great Canadian company, WestJet, who many years ago uh, put out a Christmas video uh, that made us all cry and, and made people cry all around the world. It, it, it became world famous for being this incredible emotional experience that didn't feel like an ad. It, it, you know, it got shared. It got shared. It was you know one of the early viral videos on YouTube. And again, I still think of now when I have the choice of what airline to go with, I still think of WestJet and choosing WestJet because I feel like I have an emotional connection to them. And I don't think any other brand will get me as emotionally connected because still, even time I, I watch that video again, that commercial again, I cry. It's so beautiful. And again, we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you haven't watched the WestJet Christmas video. Uh, I remember interviewing the, the guy who was kind of the creator of that and kind of the, the lead on that. And he said, the hardest thing though, is that every year I feel the pressure I got to, can I duplicate that ever again? But I don't think it can ever be duplicated at the level uh, of that original video. But again, it did not feel like an ad. And I love what you said there, Sarah, as people can understand that and put out those ads. That's a great uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's really, you know, we're talking about trends, but so much of these trends really relates to like foundations of good marketing and good advertising, right? Emotional connection. There's decades and decades of research that proves how effective that is. And so it's really just sticking to those fundamentals of what makes good creative, what makes good ads, and then just applying those lessons to the distinct experiences that each platform offers, right? If TikTok's very much about person to person, then you use one person on camera. If Snapchat is huge into AR filters, maybe play with some AR filters. So it's just about like using each social network to its full potential, right? Instagram, carousels, the stories and the visual journey you can take people on in the carousel is very unique to Instagram. So just not painting all of them with the same brush and making your ad campaigns and just kind of spraying them onto every channel possible. It's just very being very deliberate so that you are enhancing people's experience on those networks and not just interrupting it, I think is really the crux of it. And they've uh, all these platforms have shaken up the media buying agencies across yes. Canada who used to be <laughs> able to say one ad that could work on all of the newspaper, all of the TV. Um, but then you look at uh, Vessi Shoes. Uh, created this incredible snap filter where you could literally put a filter on your feet and switch between the colors of shoes they had. And and, and that was their app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that really, we're talking about top of funnel versus bottom of funnel. Like what is more bottom of funnel than like, try these on your feet using a filter. So I think there's opportunities kind of across the whole buying journey, which is again, just one of like 
the, the beautiful things about social, just those opportunities that it provides really do span the, the entire spectrum. Right, Sarah, trend number three, what do we got? Uh, well, we did smear so well. Zane was sort of kind of touching on it. It's almost mm-hmm. like he knew what was coming up. It's like he got notes or something. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's the ROI trend. So we were talking about, you know, having that confidence that your ads, your organic is doing what you need it to do. And so every year in our survey, we ask marketers, how confident are you in the ROI of social media? And this year we saw confidence is actually at an all-time high in terms of our survey. So 83% of marketers reported having some level of confidence, whether that was somewhat confident, very confident, or extremely confident. Great news. Uh, But that very top layer, the most confident, the extremely confident, that was only 14% of marketers up from 7% last year, but still only 14. So we wanted to look into that group of sort of high performers and be like, what do they have in common? What are they thinking about? So as we continued slicing the data, we saw that um, the ones who said they are extremely confident in ROI, when we asked them, what do they see as the biggest opportunity in social? Well, while everyone else said playing with new content formats and new ad formats, these 14% said expanding social's impact on other departments. And we thought, oh, isn't that interesting? It's like they figured out how valuable it can be for marketing. And now they're going, where else can we get the social goodness, right? What else can we use it for in in terms of our business as a whole? And then when we also slice the data of the question we asked, what are your top outcomes and goals for social this year? We saw huge increases in improving the employee experience and uh, brand protection and risk mitigation. And so we think those are the two areas that these you know, high performers are likely going to be looking at this year. How can we use social to keep our employees super engaged, really happy, and not quitting? And then how can we use social to listen and spot potential crises before they escalate to protect our brands since we know brands are getting held to higher and higher standards these days? So an interesting space to watch for sure. And I just love looking at these data slices and seeing this sort of pivot um, as social, what we're calling quietly matures out of the marketing department. So it's very interesting. All right, Sam, why don't we start with you? How is that? uh, How are you seeing that in real life, maybe from an agency side? Yeah, I mean, looking for or looking at insights and um, just where we are you know, seeing the ROIs and everything. Um, For myself, like being social media, managing all these different accounts, just looking at the insights through like Hootsuite, looking at the insights through Instagram stories and um, yeah, through Facebook, they have the analytics and I have been just like tracking everything through Google Docs and Google Sheets and seeing how everything, yeah, just like tracking each month and then seeing it that way. Google goals is really helpful. Um, But I feel like from my experience, I'm just looking at like Hootsuite, Facebook, Instagram, tracking the insights that way. But I know for like site conversions, Google goals is, is what we use as well. Call rail, things like that. But yeah, that's basically how I'm seeing it from like a social media management position. And what are you hearing that people that like account managers or that the clients actually want? What, what data matters to them at this point? Yeah. Um, I would say mostly just like site clicks, like, are we selling product? Are we getting views? Like what are, what's the engagement on this Instagram story? How much engagement on Facebook stories? Like what's working the best and how can we keep producing content in that way? Um, Definitely like tracking links on each post as well. Tracking that way, I feel like, yeah, mostly they're caring about how are you getting to the site? Where are you going from there? And I feel like that's kind of like the main focus. And Deanna, as you're introducing, maybe even introducing brands to social media and then you know, wanting to know why, why would I want to go on social media? Or as you're helping brands get better at seeing a return on their investment. What's those conversations been like for you? 
Well, one of the things I just wanted to say is my phone is right here and it's popping up right now and I'm working on an annual report. And for years, we've tracked something specifically. And last year I challenged it and said, I don't want to track this anymore. I want to track this, this, this. I'll go back. I'll go back. Like this doesn't matter. This is just tracking for the sake of providing someone numbers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really looking at my analytics and insights from the past and seeing what matters to me right now and what is exciting me and working in indigenous tourism right now, one of my number one insights is shares. People are sharing, sharing. Like that's the number one thing I'm looking at. If if I'm creating something and it's being shared to your space, like that's a huge perk for me. And so when I'm getting people on board and stuff, that's one of the one things we want to create content if we're trying to get our message out there that is share worthy. And so I think that that's something that I'm really focused on right now and really focused on sharing with people. Let's let's create content that is important and it's meaningful and it's it's about who we are, but that people want to share and in, into their networks as well. And I want to have you share the story of like, I think Canada this last year was going through some struggle. Canada, you know, to, to say the least, and, and trying to figure out how do I be an advocate? How do I do something good on, on a day to say, hey, man, I stand with my Indigenous, uh, you know, family in Canada and, and, and I feel for what happened. Tell the story of what you guys did, because I think that's a great example of social going beyond just social and the way that you're able to use it as a way for people to engage and do something on a day mm-hmm. when they didn't know what else to do. I get asked all the time about different ways, how people can, the truth, the reconciliation, how can they have their part in it? And I say over and over, it's, it's put your, your social space. So I shared something in May, a couple times in June, and then truth and reconciliation day, reconciliation day in September. And it was the most shares ever. I got a quite a little touch what Zane's life must be like to manage celebrity accounts because constantly it was 99 plus message requests. It was crazy, but just to see um, the fact that people feel like they can do good in taking a message from an organization that's very impactful and share it, it just shows that they're listening. It, it shows that they're listening. I always tell people that what's the simplest way for their reconciliation? I'm like, it's it's go on to an Indigenous website that, um, it, whether Canada or around your provinces, wherever you are, and support someone in your area, add an, add an experience and, or purchase something specifically. And then I say, if you can't do that, it's share the message as you see, let people, let the Indigenous community know you're being heard. And so I really saw a lot of that this year, like talking about even doing the reporting with shares. Is that going to be skewed because of this year at being so much in the news? Everything I said was shared. So what's next year is going to look like? I will forever have to remember 2021, you know, but I think it's really, really important to see that people have the power to share messages from somebody else that they believe in. Uh, and, and what are some of the other reports that you're kind of obliged to or requested to supply? Uh, do you mean do you, what kind of reports? Yeah, like what, when you do the social for a brand and, and you're running social for different accounts, what sort of like data are they asking for when you're doing this work? Yeah, well, it, it depends. So it depends what kind of platform we're looking at. Um, but I think a lot of them have been your basic reports from like maybe six years ago with your standard. You know, one of them was like number of shares in what, in what way, where, how. And so I think I'll actually doing a lot of reporting lately is I want to break them down platform. Everything here, there's nothing can be grouped together because everything is so different. Um, so it's um, we do the general shares, but I really want to break them out by each platform and have them very specific, especially, you know, you look at something like Instagram when they brought in stories and they bring in reels, like you have to be able to see that the updates come for each platform because that will increase everything. And you have to remember when those things were launched. Zane, you get the joy and thrill of working for a national association that loves reporting. And, and oh loves- my God. Not only do we love report reporting, <laughs> we like require reporting for yes. MOUs. And if you know anything about me, um, <laughs> that is far from my uh, inherent skill set, the analytical component. I'm like, no, like I just want to create art all the time. <laughs> and I don't want to know. And yeah, what I'm realizing is that there is so many so many variables at toll, toll and kind of in this regard, and I'm sure that Deanna is kind of in a similar boat is like kind of our point of conversion doesn't really ex- exist right now. Like we're in a tourism organization during a pandemic. So we're just kind of like 
what are our immediate goals here? Because right now there's restrictions in place or, or less now than there was when I first started in July, but it was just kind of like, okay, so what can we do? Cause we're not going to see necessarily immediate impact from our work. How do we know what's working, what's not kind of thing. So we kind of shifted our, our like MO from being necessarily sale based to, to being engagement based and, and just kind of spreading the word as much as possible in the time being. And it just so happened that when I started at this job, we were amidst a huge cultural shift where there was a lot of eyes on us. Like uh, the day I was hired at ITAC was the day of the first residential school findings. Like I, it was, it, I kind of just got thrown into the mix of this isn't how things always are. We're, we're, we're doing, we have to kind of fulfill our civil duties here. So a lot of the work that we're doing is a lot of, of engagement work surrounding education with truth and reconciliation. And there is a huge audience for that right now. And it's also hard to gauge whether or not that audience will always be there and whether these tactics are just very kind of trendy, for lack of a better word, at the moment because of the cultural shift we're amidst. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy though, like how much demand there are these for these things. Like we posted a post for Truth and Reconciliation Day that literally doubled our Instagram followers in a span of a week. Um, just because of yeah, like shareability is something that I really use to gauge analytics and also but something like the new frontier is saves. Like people I I notice that there's certain posts that generate a lot of saves, which means that people are like, this is valuable enough material that I need to keep it in my back pocket so I can pull it out later, which I think that that demonstrates a lack uh, lasting like impact in terms of like sentiment. So just different things to, yeah, like the reporting aspect where I'm just like writing down numbers and I only handle luckily for me, organic reporting. There's we, we outsource a lot of that to you guys at jelly dairy and for the, the, the paid stuff. So um, yeah, it, it's a lot of things that I'm noticing is success isn't always necessarily about likes or whatever. It's it's about reach and what can we do to generate reach? I think that it's about providing valuable insight more than anything at this time. And the powers that be and in the reports, what are the main things they're requesting? Is it like the growth, the impressions what are the some of the numbers they're looking for in the reports you're doing currently uh well for our our funders and our partners yeah they just want to see consistent growth Mm. for the most part but it's also it's interesting because we are uh i think there's a lot of value in in content because a lot of the content we are creating is is shared by destination canon as well who have a way 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 larger reach than we do absolutely but I feel like the sentiment around what they do is a bit different in that it's publicly known that we are an all indigenous organization. So I think the response from indigenous followers is, is also different. And that's something that we, we take account of as well. Right. Thanks, Zane. Sarah, we've got two left, two more trends. Give us number four here. What do we got? That's good. Switching tracks a little bit. Um, trend four is all about social commerce and the way it really is becoming the heart of the sort of post-pandemic shopping experience. Not mm-hmm. that we are post-pandemic yet by any means, um, but social commerce is obviously huge. And we've really been seeing small businesses using you know, social storefronts as a way to sort of extend the customer experience from offline to online to offline again, and sort of that hybrid model that's taking shape. Um, and then we're seeing larger business really pushing the limits of like what's possible and doing some really interesting, innovative things in terms of the social shopping experience. But I think it's really important to remember that social commerce as a term should be considered a lot more than just a buy button, you know, on your, on your Instagram post, little product tag, because shoppers really are using social across the entire buying journey, the way they discover brands, the way they evaluate them, 
buying and then follow up with care, it really is happening across that entire journey and across every product category as well. It's no longer something that's reserved for just, you know, big CPG retail brands. We're seeing a lot of utility in social commerce for any brand B2B or B2C. Um, And then especially important, this trend when it comes to younger generations who our digital 2021 report data shows are using social networks as a primary channel for brand research more than search engines. So social has overtaken search engines, not by that much, but by enough that we can say that. So that shift, I think, is only going to continue as well. So it really is the entire shopping experience, not just that point of transaction or checkout on your Instagram shop or whatnot. That is amazing. So Deanna, why don't we start with you? Your thoughts? It's funny because I I have said I'm an avid TikToker and love a good skincare, love a good (laughs) up and coming business. And I immediately see the brand and I don't Google it. I head right to their Instagram. I don't really judge their TikTok, but I head right to their Instagram and I suss them out. Like, who are you? Are you legit? Which is a big concern. And what are you offering? And how are you showing up on Instagram? And we'll base every purchase decision, everything I do. And I use it even in a way, Instagram more so than Pinterest. I want to paint these walls charcoal gray, hashtag charcoal gray. Let me find some you know, influencers, creators, colors, every purchase decision. Um, I, I absolutely do not use Google anymore because I, there's just a bit more trust I have in how you show up on social than throwing up an ad or how you rank. I just feel a lot more trust in, in an Instagram presence. Awesome. Samantha? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm the first to admit that I love a good aesthetic. And if I see like a nice branding on an Instagram, like whether it's skincare, a new clothing store, whatever it is, um, I'll check out their socials first. I feel like a lot of the time, if there's influencers that I follow and trust, and then they're posting about this brand, they use this brand, I'll check it out. Um, And I think that through using their employees, like on their stories, being interactive, um, reaching different audiences, and even using like user content, um, that makes me feel connected to a brand, which makes me more inclined to purchase from this brand or try out their product. If I'm like, oh, maybe they'll post me on their social media or whatever it is. yeah, I think when they share a similar value, it doesn't really matter what their following is. It's more they have the things that like I value, then I'm more inclined to shop with them. So that's kind of how I see it. I like that you said when you see them use, you know, user-generated content, when they repost mm-hmm. other people's stuff, and you might get your stuff shared. Exactly. Tell me about that. How does that feel? Is it like yeah. you like the approachability of the brand or just like that they interact? Okay. So for example, one of my favorite brands is Glossier and it's a makeup brand, skincare, if you don't know. And they always are posting people with like, you know, 500 followers to 3 million followers. They have such a huge audience. And the fact that they use just their normal tagged photos to repost, it gives you the sense of like hope, like, wow, I feel like I'm part of their community. I want to support this brand they don't just care about people with a following. They care about, you know, their normal day-to-day consumers. And yeah, the fact that they just use such a, yeah, like a different audience. They use people over 65. They use 12, maybe not 12-year-old. That's a little young, but (laughs) but like they use teens and they use just people that look different and different styles. And the fact that yeah, anyone can be featured on their page. I like resonate with that and it makes me more inclined to buy from them. So awesome. I, I will admit I follow uh Caitlin Bristow on Instagram and she told me that I gave me a discount code for blue lens glasses. So I went to I buy direct to buy these. <laughs> And then I forgot what her discount code was by the time I went to checkout. But then I realized if I signed up for their e-newsletter, I'd get a similar discount. So I signed up for their e-newsletter. So Caitlin Bristow, you, you did not get the attribution to these, <laughs> this sale or the sale, but you brought me to the site and there's probably no way to track that because I just typed it into my 
phone uh, by direct. Um, so it, it's pretty crazy how that works. But but again, it was a great discount code. I knew I needed these blue lens glasses and finally it was the right time <laughs> at the right place. There um, you go. <laughs> Zane, have you been influenced recently on social to buy something? All the time. Like it's a problem. Even like <laughs> I don't have the means for it. Uh, for me, yeah. Okay, so like I, the people who I think have targeted me the most is like the prism effects. Uh, like they like create like lens filters and every, and they just have such a great aesthetic and every, and they like are constantly producing like more and more products. So just like make like these like here, I, I didn't even plan to have this here for it, but like they just like make filters for your lenses that are like psychedelic and trippy. I probably have five of them and I've probably <laughs> used each of them once. But it's just like a testament to their like marketing campaigns. They just really know their audiences and they're like, you really need this. Um, so, or like just like clothing and stuff, like they come up on my Instagram. I'm such a sucker that I'm like, oh, absolutely. It, it looks like I need that now, <laughs> even if it's like clothes for the summer and it's winter. And I'm like, no, instantaneous. So yeah, I, I do think that there is definitely um, a lot of pull on Instagram specifically. That's where I... I get kind of trapped in these situations where I'm like, Oh, I need to make a purchase immediately. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sarah, last but not least, give us that last trend that you guys discovered. These have been incredible. I'm so excited to read the full report and dive into even more of this data and information. Yeah, definitely. The reports also got, you know, examples as well, and then links to um, info sheets that we've created on how you can put these trends into action. So each trend has an accompanying info sheet as well, because I think we can talk to you all day about the stats and throw insights at you, but knowing what to actually do with them is super important. So we've hopefully covered your bases there, but trend number five, perhaps the most dramatic one, um, but I'm excited about it because it's all about social marketers, but it's all about social customer service. So the way we're sort of setting it up is that we think the trend is that social marketers are going to save their brands from the customer service apocalypse. Like I said, it's very dramatic, but here's why we're calling it a looming customer service apocalypse. Staffing shortages, global supply chain issues, right? Economic uncertainty, fluctuating lockdowns and restrictions still in many parts of the world. There's a lot of forces at play in terms of, you know, the global state of business that really puts a big question mark on 2022. And we have a feeling that for certain industries, businesses might be dealing with an influx of not so happy customers, uh, especially around the holiday season. Things aren't going to arrive in time. Um, it, it might be a problem for a lot of people. And at the same time, demand for service on social is skyrocketing because people have figured out, oh, hey, it's instantaneous. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, they can't ignore me. I don't have to sit on hold. So there's all of these reasons why customers aren't going to just be like, okay, I'm, I'm fine now that the pandemic's over the, to you know, stop using social as a customer service channel. So these two things are really coming to a head, I think, in 2022. But the interesting thing that we're seeing is that social marketers seem to be sort of poised to be the best people to lead their organizations through this shift. So you'd think that this is the domain of the customer service team. Um, but for a lot of smaller or mid-sized businesses, there either A, isn't a customer service team, um, or if there is, the social marketers, they know the channels better. They know the customer pain points just as well, if not better, because if you've ever spent time, I used to be a social media manager crafting these perfect campaigns, you put them on, and then they just get a deluge of unhappy people uh, talking about their product and where it is. And you're like, okay, but this is marketing. Uh, but customers don't see that difference, right? They just see every interaction as your brand. So marketers in a really good position to sort of bridge that gap between marketing and customer service, make sure that everyone's using the same tools, that they have the right processes, the right handoffs, that they're using automation to answer all of those time-consuming, frequently asked questions so that the marketing teams can be freed up to do more of what they do best. So some really big opportunities there for better uh, cross-collaboration magic, for sure. So that's great. Um, Samantha, over to you. How much of your day and kind of week, percentage-wise, is customer service versus marketing and managing you know, the great content that goes out? Yes. Um, 
you know what? It really just depends on the brand that I'm working with because for example, Choices Market, it's mostly positive messages. It's maybe random questions. Do we have this product in at this location? Um, but it's not even too common. Maybe on another hand, Prospera, um, the credit union, I'm getting more messages very specifically about this is what's happening with my bank account and I need help figuring this out right now. But in reality, I cannot give them the answers that they want. So I kind of feel like this middleman, I will try and calm and assist you in what you're going through right now, but I'm handing you off and to, okay, please email this person because obviously like I, I can't help your bank account right now, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, everything I do on, on socials kind of feels like customer service other than the actual posting. And I mean, if we have a graphic designer in house and yeah, other than posting manually, everything is commenting, replying to comments, liking comments, or reaching out to people, replying to stories, resharing stories. Everything really is customer service. So I feel like it's hard to say what part of my day is which because I'm always on my phone replying to comments or checking to see if there's something new because especially on social, you don't want to wait too long because then you have comments in in the latest post saying reply to me or whatever it is. So it's kind of just like an all throughout my day task, I would say. Yeah. We all know there's nothing worse than like waiting 48 (laughs) hours. And then the social media person finally writes and says, oh, email this person over here. And I'm like, ah, come on, help me, please. Yeah. Um, But we all know any telco company, you know, Twitter is the best to get support with your telco. Mm -hmm. Like we've all, we've always been trained for that. So Deanna, what are you seeing in that world there? Customer service or- Darian, as you- as you know, I'm very passionate about wording. I word things, especially working in Indigenous tourism in 2021. I word things and we have there's a group of us who word things and every single word is just looked over with a fine tooth comb mm. to put it out there to not have any uh, negative feedback. I remember, I think sometime in the summer, maybe June 21st, somebody goes, I don't understand where are all the negative comments? And I was like, we craft messages very, very purposefully to try to avoid the negative comments. Um, because, um, I mean, working in tourism, the way you've been crafting the same message, it's kind of the same across the board, you know, so it's been easy on that end. But I'm also going into a strategy session tomorrow with my whole team for the first time in two years. And I feel like coming from the social side, I I can come with a, a lot of different ideas. But one, I can come with the idea that I know our customer. I know the people. I know what they're saying. I know what they're thinking. And I can provide that because I've been, I watch it. I'm, I'm the one who watches is everything, what they're sharing, what they're saying, responding to ads and posts and stuff. And so I think that for an organization as a whole, that strategizing what the front face social is saying in the comments is so important. That's great. And as far as, um, you know, when there is that, when that, when the troll appears or when the, when that does happen, what, what's typically your tactic when you deal with, you know, um, it depends. Um, we don't really get any trolls ever on our social posts, only on our ads. Do we okay. see it? And um, working in British Columbia, our trolls are typically outside of British Columbia because I think a lot of people in BC are very knowledgeable and know who we are. Um, it depends. Um um, I very rarely block people, but I think on truth and reconciliation today, I was like, today's not the day and I was just going to block. Um, but we definitely let some, we'll hit the hide button. If it's on Facebook, mm-hmm. you, your, your people can still see that you've posted this. Um, but we definitely choose to not really engage because that would take over. We've got a community of people who would jump in and it would just, it would just not stop. Right. And so we, we kind of choose to just let them, let them go and not worth our response. And, and over to you, Zane, whether it's managing these personalities or the association, what's, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's been very, it's very much similar like to what Deanna said. Like it's, 
it's not the organic content that we get issues with. It's a lot of the ads that I think that we run into issues with. And I guess it's because people who follow us follow us because they like the content we're making. They're very good allies in terms of the indigenous tourism component. Um, and there is definitely like regions of Canada. Like it's really interesting, like pockets of Canada that we're especially cognizant of and like, try to spread the word too without targeting too much. And because I do generate conversation, but yeah, it's very much about taking the high road and making the conversation not about uh, like combative or it's, it's like what we're doing isn't, it's a positive thing. We're promoting fun experiences. We're not trying to like activate some sort of political discussion. There, there's nothing political about the existence and cultures of indigenous people. Um, so it's just kind of, uh, yeah, we don't tend to engage too much. The high button is very, very valuable at times. Um, but that said, I have been very, very shocked with how little negative stuff has come our way. And I guess, like Deanna said, it's because we are so calculated in our messaging. And you have to be when it's, you're talking about something as uh, like kind of precious as, as um, traditional culture in Canada. It's, it's very important to, to know your way around the language with that. Um, as far as like with, with personalities and stuff like that, it, it's a lot more lower, it's a lot lower stakes. And I guess uh, it's similar to when I kind of, my face was posted on brands in the past. It, it's just kind of like part and parcel with the role people love to be on there trolling. And it's just about whether or not it's worth engaging with. But um, in terms of like my position, I would consider, we always use the term community manager as opposed to social media manager. Um, just in, and it does kind of make sense in that there's a huge customer service role. I'd say probably half and half on my end. It's, it's more so just answering questions because a lot of people have a lot of curiosity surrounding the subject matter that I, I deal with. And a lot of referring people to other people that like we have a lot of context. We're essentially an organization that's a database of many other little organizations. So what I do is act as a conduit often to refer people to people that know uh, the actual answers to the questions or have more insight on the information than I might. Where do you see most of the DMs being slid into? Instagram, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like we have like equal engagement on both, but I feel like the people that are more actionable and more about like quick to jump to to take on these experiences are are found more on Instagram, whereas Facebook's more of just an engagement audience. In my experience, great, Sarah. Any closing thoughts you want to share with yeah. us? It's been, it's been a joy. It's been a lot. I think those five trends um, being driven from our survey data, part of what is rolling out uh, with the campaign this year is a completely separate survey data report. So if you do want any of like the really juicy data points and insights, we've got an entirely separate report that's just full of that. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, thanks so much for for having me on and for leading this awesome discussion about these trends it's been really great oh it's great i i am so excited um sarah to to dig further into it again link is in the show notes deanna samantha zane thank you for joining us today giving your insights your thoughts uh perspective tips ideas on uh you know this amazing role we play with this uh, very powerful uh, both marketing and engagement channel that we all like to call social media. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been great. So um, again, check out the link uh, in the show notes. Uh, if you want to reach out to Zane, Deanna, Samantha, or even Sarah, we're going to put the links in the notes as well if you have further questions. Uh, but thank you again for joining us today here on Marketing News Canada. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.